This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives, the power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. Today, I sit with Josh Hale, president and CEO of the Big Shoulders Fund. Josh and the Big Shoulders Fund have been life-changing for me over the last handful of years. I was introduced to the fund through a client and ever since then have been a proud board member. The Big Shoulders Fund is a charity group that works with inner city schools in the Chicagoland area, providing financial support, mentorship to children, give back days where we go in and paint schools and do janitorial work and paint parking lines and fix playgrounds and really just whatever the school needs. I've had the the personal honor to sit with these amazing children and work with these teachers. And it is, again, just been absolutely life-changing for me. Today, Josh and I discuss the power of volunteering and the fulfillment it has in our lives, as well as the help it is to our community. It was an absolute honor to have Josh on today. He's one of those people you love from the first second you meet him. And I know you're gonna enjoy every bit of this podcast. So listen in and enjoy. All right, this is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am on with Josh Hale. Josh, thank you for being on today. Thanks very much, Reverend Mike. Appreciate it. Josh, Thrilled you and to I, be included. I, uh, it's, I've been excited about this. Um, as you know, this is special to me because I, I joined the Big Shoulders Fund Board, which, uh, which you'll talk about a little bit in a second, in 2016, 2015, 2016. And uh, it's been a great experience for me. And I, I, at first I got to know you from afar and it's been great to get to know you personally. But uh, to kick this off, I wanna hear a little bit about you. So, uh, you know, who you are, what Big Shoulders is and uh, how you got involved in the, the volunteer side of things. The, um, well, thanks for having me on and in, in the opportunity to talk with this, but also just about life in general and where America's at and frankly the world, yeah. living in uh, the COVID area, era, or as I like to say, Coronaville. <laughs> no, I, I, so just in terms of how I got to Big Shoulders Fund, it's a, it's a, a long story, very short. I, I, um, I grew up in the Boston area and I went to Marquette in Milwaukee. And after that, I went overseas as a, as a volunteer, the Jesuit Volunteer International Program and uh, taught for two years in a, in a, a third world nation um, called the Marshall Islands. And you know, it was kind of two things. One was was living there and teaching there for a year, where I think I got a bug for being part of a mission, a really mission-driven organization. And when I was younger, growing up in high school, and even in grade school, my mother had been part of a program where she went to Haiti with nurses, and they administered care. And um, I'm one of five, and I think she thought, well, I got, you know, I'm going down with all these nurses, and we always need labor. She said, I got five labor units right here and so she started taking us down and she started taking people from our high school and our church and it kind of grew just out of her kitchen she ran this thing and i have a you know I, I went down a number of times my sisters and brothers did and i think that that too was a, a pivotal experience just for me in terms of 
I think kind of one of the things that I think is so great about our country, this idea of, of, of service to others, that comes in lots of different forms. But that was the other probably pivotal experience. So when I came back to the Marshall Islands, you know, like so many college students, I had uh, debt and I needed to get to work. <laughs> and so I, I went into a track that I thought, you know, that would have been in my life. I went into management consulting and I loved it. I learned a lot. Um, I was, you know, uh, quote unquote grunt labor. I was young and uh, lived in Excel spreadsheets and working for the partners and, you know, going company to company. But I learned a lot about um, organizations and growth and management, um, which has served me very, very well. But there was, and I loved it. I loved the change. I loved the consulting aspect of it. But the part, um, I got a, a friend kept calling me that I had volunteered with overseas and saying, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing for um, those that, that need, that are living the margin? And how are you serving to, 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 for that? And I think he probably knew in me, there was something I was searching for that I, you know, didn't, I just wasn't quite fulfilled. And um, so there was an opening at, and he knew about it. And he came to me and said, there's a school in Chicago that's looking for someone to lead their development, fundraising efforts in public relations. I was, I think, 27 years old at the time. I had never raised a nickel in my life, and I didn't know anything about PR. But it was a startup school, and so they were desperate. And uh, so I, on a whim, I really gave notice to work fairly quickly, and I had been looking at business school, and I thought I'd come back to that. But I went out, um, moved from Boston to Chicago, and started working at a school called Christa Ray Jesuit High School. And it was in the early years. The school had started in 96, and I arrived in right at the end of uh, 99, November 99, so 2000, and uh, became part of a mission. I was there for five years, and it was a start school in the Pilsen uh, community of Chicago, primarily a recent immigrant from Mexico, and the school was a unique model where the students worked to pay for their education. And I was back in a mission, much like when I was in Haiti and when I was over in Marshall Islands. I fell in love with it and five of the best years of my life. I loved working there and being part of that. And I think I learned uh, that I need to be part of a mission like that, that for my fulfillment in life and feeling like making a difference and also just, you know, personal gratification of, of, of life uh, was to, to join that. So I was there five years and uh, along the way I'd met a young woman who I want to marry. I had no money. And um, so I literally was like, well, maybe, thought about all the things I learned and how important it was. I thought maybe I should go back to business school and uh, go back to consulting. So I started the process of applying to business school. And I'd gone to a person on the board where I worked at Chris Ray and talked to him about uh, providing a, a letter of support for that. And I said, but it's under the covers. No one knows I'm looking. And he said, sure. And so I, um, I started applying to business school, but about two months, three months later, he came back and he said, forget business school. You already, you know, you know enough people, you've, you've been working in management. Big Shoulders Fund is looking for a new executive director. And, you know, I, I want you to meet with the co-chairs of that board. And I, I don't know about Big Shoulders Fund, and they had supported Chris Ray where I worked. And, you know, from a small school in Pilsen, looking at Big Shoulders Fund, I was like, it's a massive organization. They're never going to hire me. I don't know anything about, you know, I just, I didn't have the, I didn't have the experience or anything else. And I, you know, Maybe they were desperate. Who knows? But I, I couldn't believe they gave me a job. But they offered me a job, and I jumped at it. And again, I think I realized how important it was to be part of mission. So I've been at Big Shows Fund now, coming up on 16 years. And I, every day I wake up and feel like I'm the luckiest guy 
around to be part of a mission to work with to work with a phenomenal team that is totally mission driven to work with a set of schools principals teachers students their families these communities and I feel like I you know a lot of grace being part of that that I, I'm inspired by all of those groups but also inspired by the board and the level of dedication that every decision we make is about mission and politics don't play what's best for the children we're there to serve that's what we exist to do and so I I, um, I feel lucky every day and just a little background on Big Shoulders Fund. Big Shoulders Fund was founded back in 1986. And at the onset, it was, it was um, Carnot Bernadine went to a group of business leaders, primarily four at first that were leaders here. A guy by the name of Jim O'Connor, who was leading a company that now is Exelon. Uh, at the time, Commonwealth Edison. Uh, Andy McKenna, who was well-known in the city and was a chair of the McDonald's board and ran a very successful business. And uh, Ed Steffen, who's recently passed away, is a big-time lawyer in the city, and Barry Sullivan, who's the head of First Chicago. So some real, you know, leadership in the city. And Carter Bernadine went to them and said, I, you know, we have these great schools in the, um, as he describes, the inner city of Chicago that provide a great service as a community-based organization to that community, beacons of hope, and um, just their very presence. And the second part was that their outcomes, their long-term outcomes, student success very high but I can't afford them. And he asked these four people, would you help raise funds to create an endowment, $100 million to, to you know, over time? $100 million is a lot today, never mind then. And in order to raise those funds, these four people knew that they were gonna get the broader community involved. And so they started talking to other leaders. What was interesting was you had people from all different faith backgrounds saying, these schools do represent the success of the city. That if in one was Lester Crown was one of the, the people that got involved early on who said, if an effective education is only for the affluent, then we're going to lose the city. Everybody needs hope, and we need to ensure also that we have strong community-based organizations all over the city, and these schools represent that. But one of the concerns he voiced was, what's to ensure the funds that this group, if they were to join together and raise funds, that they would all be for these inner-city schools and not for some of the purpose. And Carter Bernadine, in you know, his, his infinite wisdom, said there is no way except if it's a separate 501c3. And so was born Big Shoulders Fund, an independent charitable organization with a mission of raising funds for the inner city Catholic schools of Chicago. And that was how we began. And the onset, it was, you know, schools in the city of Chicago, Catholic, that were high, serving high-need communities. And it was primarily access, so scholarship. And they started raising funds and they, you know, if you look back at the editorials and articles of the time, it's incredible to think about where we are today. And, you know, they, they started out and saying, we're going to try to raise, I think it was $5 million or $10 million over a, a five-year period. And um, that was a real stretch. They really said, and what was surprising to them was how quickly they were raising those funds, how much interest there was in this mission. And it took off. And since that time period, we've raised over $400 million to date for this mission. And I think that speaks volumes about how much value is placed on uh, ensuring all children have access to a quality values-based education and a safe and structured environment, but also how important it is for all Chicagoans to have great institutions in the neighborhood, whether it's a library, a, a public school, a, uh, a, a Catholic or big show fund school, or a store or a bank, whatever it is, those institutions strengthen the neighborhood. 
And that initial investment was as much about access for children as it was an investment in the neighborhood. That we need, that there's jobs, there's a ripple effect from that institution being open. Windows that are open, not boarded up. All that says the community. And while our mission remains focused on that, ensuring those community-based organizations stay open and access, our mission is dramatically expanded. So fast forward to today, we have 75 schools in Chicago, um, pre-K through uh, pre-kindergarten through 12th grade. So we have a few high schools, but the majority are, are elementary schools. So it's uh, 13 high schools and the rest are elementary. And we now have expanded into Northwest Indiana. And so we have 20 schools down there. And so the total population of schools is about 26,000 students. And they would be 80% from minority communities and about 70% living out of low poverty. And so, you know, continuing to serve high need communities and um, very much communities that are the future of our country. I mean, you know, whether they're immigrant or they've been in this country for many generations, they are the future. And so investing in those children to help lead us tomorrow and so we uh, invest in really four areas now. Um, certainly, we continue with scholarship, but our scholarship programs too is grown to include lots of supports and services, which you know from your involvement that it's about mentorship, it's about experiences, whether that's after school or summer or mentoring, tutoring, social, emotional wellness. How do we wrap supports around those scholarship students and give them all this, the tools? What would we want for our children? What supports should we give them? If they need counseling, how do we get them to counsel? If they need a tutor in math, how do we get them a tutor? If they need test prep to go from top high school, elementary school to high school or high school to college, how do we put all those supports around them? Experiences, museums, going to a camp in the summer, all those parts. And so we've wrapped all those services around scholarship students. And in some ways, scholarship is a little bit of a misnomer with Big Children's Fund because of our nearly 5,000 children on scholarship. I would say that um, and we have about 80 different programs, about 80%, 85% of those scholars are chosen just because they have need, not for any other reason. There's no requirement for grades or anything else. If you have an interest that you think your child would do better in this school than another school, we're going to help you make that possible. And all those families have skin in the game, whether it's $10 a month or $100 a month, they're investing in it as, as well. So I think that co-investment of a parent or guardian a, a donor, a supporter in the school, I think that combined investment that everybody's pulling in the right direction saying, I get skin in the game, whatever that may be, is a big part of it. But it is really based on need. And that's the primary, that we just want to be partner with parents who say, this school is better than for, for my child than that school. The second area we really invest in is, you know, the, the really core of the school, which is the academics. And that means investing in teachers, in curriculum, in technology, in all the pieces that make that classroom as strong as can be. And so that ranges from bringing high quality curriculum and training teachers on it. So they have a literacy coach or math coach coming in to support them. That also includes all the data. So all the tracking of student data on assessments, whether those are standardized tests or in-class assessments on an ongoing basis. How do you take all that data and turn it into information so that teacher is better equipped to meet the needs of differentiating their instruction to different students. It also means recruiting um, people out of college as teachers into our school and then supporting them when they come in with lots of mentoring and coaching so they stay in the profession and love it. And also if you're going into under-resourced communities, I would say that that you know, challenge 
uh, insofar as the under-resourced aspect is difficult, but that they see all the joy of what it means. Just no different than I did when I went to the Marshall Islands or Haiti or to working in Pilsen. And so many people that get involved in this mission of seeing, you know, the, the infectious nature of being involved in a great mission like this. These communities are vibrant, they're great, and these students are great, and how do they in, in really take all that and see that as a reward and uh, really what fills their soul to keep moving forward. So investment in teachers and then helping them develop a pipeline of leadership as teacher leaders and as school leaders, as principals. And then we have a whole set of supports for principals as well. The third area would be on the operation side. So we invest heavily in helping the school to run the business of their school. And, you know, most of our principals and teachers, um, all of them did not go to school to be a marketing executive, a finance executive, a CFO, but they're expected to be all those things. And so we have supports. We have people that go out and help them develop and plan their budgets, give better cash flow projections, marketing, how to get on social media and be better at sharing their story to broader experience, and getting engaged with their alumni to invite them back to support as volunteers, as mentors, as donors, supporters. And um, the, the, really the fourth part of it is all the enrichment that goes into this. So we run a camp in Wyoming, which is a STEM-based, uh, we call it Staddle Camp. And kids every summer apply and get to go out to um, these camps and there for a week living on, uh, in, frankly, the middle of nowhere. Uh, but they are right on the edge of Medicine Bow National Park. And so the classroom is this environment. And so they learn a lot about STEM-related fields and about leadership. And um, it's one of my favorite places to go. But there's a whole set of enrichments that we supply for all of our students. And so those are the four primary areas we really focus on. And, you know, the investment's important and knowing these schools make a difference. So we're, we're certainly looking at test scores on an individual school year and in schools and assessing that. We look at the number of students that go from a high-performing high school or high-performing elementary school to high school and uh, high school to college or to career, whether that's going into the trades or the military or that their job already coming out, whatever that pathway is, that they have a pathway to a brighter future. We look at all those things along the way. But... What we really want to know is long-term, is this making an impact? And really, when we think about our own children, we want to make sure our children, your children, my children, go out to be good citizens, that they, they have the opportunity to go into a field that is fulfilling, that they can be a good citizen, that they can have a family. Whatever they want to do, they realize that path to a brighter future, and they're good citizens. And so what we want to do is make sure that we're able to kind of verify, is this program, all this investment we're making, that Mike makes as a mentor and a member of our chairman's advisor council that other donors make, that that investment, that the parent makes, that the student makes, that the principals and teachers. And so we now do uh, long-term assessments. And we look at is certainly how many of our students go into college, and that's a very high number. So we graduate our students, and we see that you know, 96%, 97% of our students graduate every year from high school, prepared to go on to the next level. We also see that of those students of our graduating seniors, that come out in our scholars, we see that about almost 90% of them, 86%, actually enroll in college the year following high school. So not just that they got accepted, but they're actually enrolling and they show up. And that's third part of this, not Josh Hale just taking an educated guess. We look at the data on that. And I think that speaks volumes. That they're, and then their persistence rate is like 92%, meaning that they're persisting on, that they, the tools that they were given along the way around their parents and guardians from the school, the principals, teachers, all those supports are helping them to excel at that uh, college level. But even longer term, we look at then 
how many of them graduate from college. And what we see is that across our schools, about where our graduation rate for our, our students is college is about two times the national rate, which is pretty significant. But when you drill down for the African American Latinx community, we're seeing that in the African American community, it's about three times the national rate, and the Latinx community about four times the national rate. So even higher in those in those two communities. And that's a great statistic, but are they successful as citizens? So we also have third-party research done by a, consult, a, a research firm, and we find we want to know, you know what kind of makes them a good citizen. We see that our students are voting at a higher rate than their peers. They're employed at a higher rate than their peers. One in three is earning 50000 or more, and one out of five is earning $50,000 or more, and then I think it's something like three out of 10 is earning $100,000 or more. So they're actually realizing financial success but also that they are donating back by either volunteering, writing a check, they're, so they're involved in their community. So all those things we look at, and are they those citizens that we dream they would be? And they're our neighbors. In general, in the, in overall in our alumni, about 80% are back in the Chicagoland region, and about 60% are actually living in Chicago. So they are our neighbors. I mean, this is truly, a, in some ways, a selfish investment because this is about the community that we want. We want to make sure that everybody has access to that future. We talk about, you know, investing in the south and west side. This is an investment in the south and west side that when supported and enabled, just like all of us, they're going to rise and grow and be as successful as can be. And I think that's a large part of this about that they have control of their destiny. They can plan for their future. And they become great neighbors for all of us and really leaders in our city. And I think that that's, the, that's the, uh, the strength of this program is that it truly is an investment and we have demonstrable outcomes that show that this, if you invest in a child here today, Mike, if you're a mentor for this child or you volunteer at this school and help them to succeed, you're going to see their students go on to be successful long-term. Yeah. I, and I want to go back to the, this, you know, this concept of selfishness with volunteering that you and I spoke about. I want to get into that. But for, you know, what, what I loved about Big Shoulders and the financial side is, is crucial, but that's not what kept me and that's not what made me join a board. What made me join the board was the volunteer side. And you said it, you said it's the joy of what it means to be a part of this. Yes. Seeing the kids, working with the kids, you know, the, the give back days, uh, as we call them. And um, I, so as a mentorship, I got to sit with five brilliant smart, great kids every single month. And it was on their lunch break, so they sit there and eat lunch, and I got to sit there, and it was it was nothing overly structured. It was just, it was someone for them to talk to and to talk about their day. And, you know, their the engineering program they were in, or, you know, and, and the, the sports they're getting involved in, or the, the musical instruments that now the school was able to bring in and they got to play. I always said, I, I think I got more out of the lunches than, than they did in a lot of ways. You know, it was... I'm with you. It, it was. It's a refueling, but but even, but the give back days and, and cleaning up the schools and fixing the playgrounds and sitting with the kids and the teachers during a class and seeing what the actual class is like. That was the stuff that was way more impactful for me than uh, than, than the check I write every year. Yeah, you know, and uh, I think and I, I think that's what I love about Big Shoulders is the opportunity for anyone to be involved. You, you have the board that really does a lot of the check writing and God bless them. And then you have the board that I'm on that gets to be a little bit more about decision-making and programs and bringing in new volunteers and spreading the word. And then, you, and then you have the third board that really is just, you know, the ones that are really front and center and out there. And uh, 
and I don't know if you want to speak to that at all, but big shoulders is in my mind, it's, it's so much, maybe not bigger, maybe that bigger is not the right word, but it's in some ways bigger than the financial. At least that's the way I've always seen it. Couldn't agree. I mean, there's a, I think two parts to this when I think about the importance of volunteering in this mission, there's the, the part of that we truly depend on. Like, we calculate the hours. Like, for example, you talk about the give back days and the, the volunteer, you know, service days of the schools, cleaning up, planting, painting, doing all sorts of things, or even going in and reading to children, right? I mean, all those things of like people going into the community. I think that there's one just that, you know, when we think about janitorial hours, it, you know, mostly schools have a, a jam there, but one person and bringing painters, I mean, it's expensive to paint a school to to clean up a, um, a, an area to create a, a you know play area for students, all that is expensive, and so we actually calculate the janitorial like for you know a, a four hour service day with a hundred people, you can get a lot done, and that would take. And so we actually calculate those hours. There's actually a there's a, a dramatic financial impact from those volunteer hours that makes a big difference. So we couldn't do those things. On the other side of it, and there's a lot of different volunteer aspects of this, but on the other side of that is the, the message from that, the message that it sends to the students, the parents in that community of uh, others coming into their community and getting to know certainly the school and the, the, the educators there as part of that service day, but some of the students and the families. And I think in Chicago, you know, no surprise, it's, it's one of the more segregated cities in the country. And there's often terminology used about that's a bad neighborhood or that's not a good neighborhood. And I, my God, I cringe when I hear that because I know those neighborhoods from visiting them and working them and getting to the community. There's wonderful neighborhoods, great, hardworking people that want no different than any of us, but that oftentimes are plagued by what results from disinvestment or underinvestment in those communities. And when you see people coming from all over the city, the region to a neighborhood and saying, we're with you, there's a sense of community and partnership friendships are developed, relationships. I'm sure you've gotten to know, know people in those names, whether it's the students and their families or their mm-hmm. parents and guardians or the educators, the people, uh, the gen- whatever it is, those relationships speak volumes and break down barriers that maybe are real or perceived, whatever it may be. But that other part of it, I think is enormous. And I think that goes to the part of the equation that is we experience some great feeling of, of fulfillment, soul-filling, energy of uh, being part of that, you know, we're changing the, the conversation, the narrative that we're breaking down those boundaries and saying, we're all in this together. And as your soul is filled and those students soul is filled and we all want to be part of it more that building new relationships and building a pathway to a brighter future that has to do with, you know, I'm going to go down and actually dig holes today and plant flowers to beautify and help to beautify this community. I'm going to go and build relationships with those four or five students that you were mentoring. And, you know, I, I think much of it is right. A lot of times the mentorship is really about relationship building. It's going down and sitting and talking about the weather or sports or how good or bad the lunch may be that day, uh, about what their dreams and hopes are. But that relationship, it's like, I know someone different that's, you know, building a relationship with me and came from someplace. I don't know where they came from, but they're here in my neighborhood. That speaks volumes to everybody. And I also think that if you get to know those students that you're mentoring in third, fourth, fifth grade, whatever grade it is, your ability to have a relationship with them and help them at critical transition periods in their life 
like eighth grade to high school, helping them to make the right choice, helping them find access to resources, whatever it may be, mentoring and tutoring, other things that they'll need to be successful, test prep, that you couldn't help them at that transition period period if you didn't have a relationship before. Because you've now broken down that barrier and saying, I'm going to be here for you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm coming back. I'm part of your team. I'm, you know, with your parent or guardian, your teachers. But I'm just another person in your team cheering for your success. What a message that sends to anybody. Think about the mentors. I think about all the mentors I've had in my life and continue to have that without them, I wouldn't have made maybe the right decision. I wouldn't have seen the opportunity, you know, when I was down and needed someone to talk to, to lift me up. Those are the things. And I think that that gets at to your point of whether it's a service day or give back day, or it's mentoring or teaching the stock market program in one of our eighth grade classrooms or high schools, those break down barriers to build relationships. And if this world needs anything right now, we need more bridging of those divides and those you know, barriers that we've been built up over time to really see that we are all in this together. And I think that, that that's part of the American spirit. I think it's, it's a part of who we are since almost the beginning of our founding of our country was that we're about helping our fellow citizens. And I don't think we've gotten away from it, but I think over time we've also created ways to create barriers and to segregate ourselves away from versus pulling us together. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's, it's contagious, right? And that's where this spreads. I got involved because, not because someone told me I should do it, because I was with a mutual friend of ours who was taking care of a child. And I saw it and I asked questions and that, and that got me in. And then after I joined and just being around it, we had a group of people at the company I was working for come together and ask about joining a group. And the give back days, that's what it's all about. There might be 10 board members, if that, at a give back day, but there'll be 250 volunteers. Yes. You know, and it's, it's the contagious nature of it that, um, that I love. We don't have advertisements, billboards up, you know, recruiting for volunteers. We don't have television commercials. We don't, it is all world of, word of mouth. And that only speaks to what you're, is that the only reason it's grown is because others have shared. And like this, this afternoon to share in your podcast that, you know, I think so often, you know, even my own life, there's, there's times where I say, someone should, why don't they? And there's times when I think, oh my gosh, I could just do something to make a difference. And I think that oftentimes we're all looking for, I think that's the American spirit of like, I want to help. I want to make a difference. And there's a certain entrepreneurism, entrepreneurial nature to that. And when you do it and you feel good about it, you talk about it. I talk about it. My God, people probably like Josh is talking about it again. And I think that, you know, Mike goes and does it and he says, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm loving this. I'm sharing this at the dinner table with coworkers, whatever. And to your point, that is that contagiousness is what pulls us together into associations or groups to make a difference. And not that it, moving from, you know, the statement that I say more often, I always try to catch myself, you know, someone should, well, why don't you, Josh, why don't you do something about it? And I think that's again, part of our disposition in this country and why we have such a strong philanthropic in volunteering. And when I say philanthropic, I, you know, I mean it, like you said, certainly people write checks philanthropically, people volunteer philanthropically, mm -hmm. People uh, are, you know, kind acts. I think there's a certain philanthropic nature of exhibiting to the world, you know, I'm going to make a difference here. I'm going to do something. Yeah. I, you know, the, the point of this, I mean, the point of this episode is a lot, but the point of this podcast in general is really about 
how all aspects of lifestyle come back for health. And there is, for me, there's always been what I would, well, now I'll call maybe a selfish undertone to volunteering. And I've had this conversation with people and I've heard quotes and I've read things or, you know, this, this attitude of if volunteering in any way, whether it's financially time, whatever it might be, if it's not completely selfless, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And I've never completely bought into that because I think it's okay to do things for multiple reasons. I think it's okay to say I'm, I am helping people and my impact is good, but I am allowed to feel good leaving there too. And, you know, there's for me, it's, it's made me feel good to know I'm making a difference, but it also has made me a better person because now I feel like a better father because I've brought my daughter to some of these give back you days, go. you know? So now she gets perspective on what the world is and what it is to help and to be selfless. But it's also, it's made me, I think it's made me a better husband. I think it's made me a better employer. I think it's made me a better business owner, a better worker. You know, I, there's been a carryover from being a part of Big Shoulders or any volunteering, obviously. That goes for, you know, whatever you want to be a part of, be a part of it. And I think that's okay. So have you have you come across this notion of, you know, the difference between selflessness, selflessness and selfishness and volunteering? And, and what are your thoughts there? You know, it's, it's funny you mentioned the, um, you know, the, this this idea. I there uh, long ago when I first started Big Shows Fund, one of our co-chairs, and I and I it, it I think it caught me off guard a little bit when he first said it. I was like, that is the most insightful. He said essentially what you said. He said, you know, so often um he, he said, don't thank me. He said, don't thank me. He, um, uh, this is John Canning who um has given enormously to Big Shows Fund of his time and energy certainly in leading this organization and in that volunteer capacity. But certainly in terms of, of supporting this mission with thousands of children on scholarship over his time and under, you know, uh, creating programs and partnerships for us in the museum, so many different things. He and his wife, Rita, have, have done so much in the Chicagoland region, even nationally. And we were thanking him. I was thanking him at some gathering of scholars for doing this. He said, you know, he said, people thank me. He said, but, you know, I, this is a selfish act. He said, I get more out of this. He said to the same thing he did. I love going down and having lunch with them at, uh, in their cafeteria, having the tuna fish on wheat and some, or, 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 and some chips. And he said, we just talk about the world. He said, I, I love it. He said, I love when they share the news with me about when they got into high school, when they're going to college or the job that they're in. And, you know, he and I still keep in touch with a few of his scholars from way back when who have graduated and are now working in the finance field or in the uh, legal field, wherever, in the city. So his statement of like, this is a selfish act when he first said it, that he said, I get more out of this than, than they do. Now, I'm not sure if that's true. You know, they certainly are benefiting greatly from him. But, you know, there's, a, there's an honesty there. And I, I'd have to say that, you know, even me being part of this is a selfish part of it. This is, for me, very fulfilling and gratifying to be part of a mission and partnership with such great communities and people. The, the idea of that has to be totally selfish to selfless to me seems contrary to what you know, maybe the, the, the original ideas of philanthropy were that philanthropy was to make a difference, to identify an issue or a challenge or problem and, you know, reach out to your friends and build an organization that can make an impact on that. And there's fulfillment that. Now, there's a selfness in it that it's not about me. It's about helping, you know, to address the issue they're facing, whether that's, you know, access to water in their community or it's food in their community or uh, whatever it is. And so certainly it's not about putting food on my table. It's about making sure that others have food and, and, and that are facing food scarcity. So there's truth to that. But I think that 
if selfishness is that I get a fulfillment from seeing others breathe easily more easily, I forget who had that quote, you know, that make others breathe easier by my my work, then I think that and that selfishness is a great thing. And that we reap rewards from it of fulfillment and happiness that we're better better spouse or better parent. Gosh, I think that's why, you know, the American spirit of helping our neighbors remains so strong today, our fellow citizens, because of that, you know, soul-filling aspect of it. And you can call it selfish or whatever, but I, I, I agree with your assessment that it's about helping others, but it's about helping myself too. Yeah, I, I like soul filling. And you used that quote last time we talked to, and I wrote it down because I loved it. Uh, you know, as you say it, I'm thinking I I would almost question someone that spent time or gave money and didn't feel good after. I would be curious as to how that could even come across. You know how yeah. that, how that you know it's it, it almost don't connect to be able to to completely give time but get zero at least joy, at least to feel happy yes. about, about your effects. That, you know, that side almost doesn't, that makes less sense to me than being accepting of a selfish side to philanthropy. A gentleman I was talking to recently, he and his wife, he and his wife, um, I was talking to him, but it was the two of them have been enormously successful in building a business. And they wanted to give away, you know, kind of made that pledge of we're going to give away our wealth philanthropically, you know, before we die. And uh, so they were toying with creating a family office to hire people to, on their philanthropic front to help them uh, deploy their, their wealth as effectively and efficiently and impactfully as possible. A lot of things make sense about that. You know, it's, it's uh, to really do that effectively and in a thoughtful way. And so the idea of hiring people that really had expertise in different areas, you know, there's education or housing or, you know, food scarcity and uh, food security, they thought having experts in building a team would help them to do that. And the two of them talked about how they really struggled with that as well, because they thought that the greatest part of doing this was the proximity to mission, really getting to know the people in the field, the leader of this nonprofit that is focused on food security in under-resourced area, or you know, this nonprofit that's focused on ensuring access to health or whatever it is, or this one for education that they really found fulfillment uh, out of that. And their concerns by hiring people, they'd be further and further away from it and get you know, too analytical. And I, I don't know the right answer, but I, th- I just thought in his, their, his and her anal- analysis of it, of how do we keep close to the mission? Because you know, certainly we're investing our wealth in this, but the experts are out there and that they didn't want to get too far away from it, but also those relationships, which they found so fulfilling and really in a selfish way that they felt good about. And I think that that, you know, there's a, you know, a healthy balance. There's certainly, I look at family offices and foundation work with experts in the area. We're better because we interact with them. But on the other hand, I understand the other part of it. Of like, I want to, I want to be part of this. I want those relationships are wonderful and soul filling. And I don't want to get too far away from that. So it is not a straight line, but there that's part of this philanthropic uh, process of whether yeah. it's a service day or it's giving away the wealth you've earned from building a big business. That story, that might be the only true version of selflessness is if, you know, you don't get to see it that, you know, it's, yeah. it's like, it's like donating, you know, being an organ donor, you know, I, yeah. after I'm gone, it's going to help somebody and I don't get to see it and that's okay. And then here it is. Yeah, that, absolutely. That, that might be the first uh, acceptable selflessness I've heard. I like that. There we go. You've touched a couple times now on entrepreneurship in this and uh, 
you know, the, the uniqueness to this American culture. And, and we see it all the time. In the worst scenarios, people come together. Just when you think things are really bad and beyond hope, people really do bind together, right? Whether, you know, uh, current climate now, uh, 9-11, you know, the catastrophes tend to bring cultures together. We had a quote that I have, I have selfishly asked you to read because I didn't think that I could deliver it the way you could. <laughs> um, so uh, if, if you want to read that quote for me, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and then give me your your thoughts on it and let's dive in because when you, it was, it, it's, I've been thinking about it nonstop and I've read it a few times since we talked a couple of weeks ago and it was such an impactful quote. So when you're ready, go ahead. I, yeah, just a, in a little background, I, I'd heard this a long time ago, but I recently made a speech I used in there and that's why I have these, these notes, but it was, um, Alistair Tocqueville came to the United States, I think back in like 18, in the 1830, 1831 or something at that time for the 1830s. And he came here to learn about the American way, you know, you know, and so he wrote a, a long paper on this, a, a book of sorts about, you know, this, this new experiment, this, this America, and wanted to learn more about how it operated in this, in some ways, the spirit of entrepreneurship, entrepreneurism building. And he wrote about it and it really helped define us in some ways and kind of the underlying fabric of, of America. And he explained one of our greatest assets in the country, what he saw when he was here is our associations, as he called them. I would call that today civic organizations, nonprofits, and things like that. But it was the idea of, the, of associations of essentially where we come together as Americans to solve an issue. And I think there's an entrepreneurism in there as well around this idea. And I've heard this even you know, more recent in other countries as they develop wealth of how do you create and, and really inculcate this idea of creating associations among your fellow citizens to solve issues. That it's not, not their problem or I, someone should do something, but you know, I've identified this issue and I'm gonna get my friends together and we're gonna create an institution, organization or a movement to address it. So that's kind of a backdrop to the quote, but the quote says, in the United States, as soon as several inhabitants have taken an opinion or an idea they wish to promote in society, they seek each other out and unite together. Once they have made contact, from that moment, they are no longer isolated, but have become a power seen from afar, whose activities serve as an example and whose words are heeded. And I think that that part about they become a power seen from afar was that we've identified an issue, we've come together through those associations as he used, and we take it on as our personal responsibility to help solve that issue. And, you know, there's a certain part about that as about entrepreneurism. There's a certain part that's about personal responsibility as you know, this is our country and these are our fellow citizens and we have to help. And so what can we do to make it better? And today we call that nonprofits. We call that philanthropic organizations, civic organizations, whether that's a, the commercial club or the economic club, whether that's uh, the food depository or it's Metropolitan Affiliate Services or Big Shoulders Fund. And it's philanthropists. Like, you, Mike, or uh, John Canning, or Jim O'Connor, or whoever it is, that that's that movement of personal ownership. And then somewhere in there is a, to your, our conversation a minute ago of personal gratification of, we can solve this, and a true belief in that. And I think that's what, um, as he sought to understand America and the fabric of it and the strength of it, was that he identified that very early on, back in the 1830s, that we had this sense of, of personal responsibility in creating associations, nonprofits, philanthropic organizations. 
to really solve them. And I think that that is a wonderful part about our country. And I got to say, you know, you know, during this COVID area, there has been some terrible realities of this pandemic and people really hurt by it, whether that's just, you know, isolation or it's food scarcity, job loss, income loss, whatever it is. But I, I also, uh, at least personally, my own work have seen the very best of America and that people running toward the issue and saying, what can we do? And, you know, even big shows, but we don't, our primary business is helping to uh, strengthen these schools and these community-based organizations and support children to help operate these schools. Our business is not finding food and delivering meals to people. It's through our schools and things, but that's not our, our business. And during this pandemic, people came to us and said, there are people out there hungry. Now. There are restaurants that are going to close down if they don't get revenue, including a program where we had funding to go to local community-based restaurants, neighborhood restaurants, right down the street in the schools, and say to them, will you prepare food? We'll pay you for it, and we're going to bring it to our school and distribute it to the community. Certainly students and families in our schools, but to anybody who needed food. And it was someone that identified, Carol Lavin Burnick, who said, I've identified these two issues. Josh, would you and Big Shows Fund partner with me in doing that? I have the idea and I have some resources. I think others will follow. But will you join my association and move this? Which she ultimately called Feed It Forward. And I think in that, you know, that great thing that Alexis de Tocqueville talked about, she identified it and said, would you join me? And she went to other organizations as well. And then other people saw this and heard about it. They said, I want to be part of it. We are getting calls and funding volunteers. I want to come help serve the meals. I want to, and I think that defines what is the fabric of America of swing to action when things are, you know, the most challenged. And, you know, I could cite hundreds of examples like that, but I think that that, that is what is special about this country in that spirit of we can, we can make a difference. Uh, the CAC, which you're a part of, was a group of people who came together and said, we want to do something. You know, I remember it starting. Group of people coming around, sitting around the table, said, what can we do? How can we make a difference? And through relationships, form that organization, which you know today is hundreds of people strong, that results in, to your point, hundreds and hundreds more coming and being part of it because we invite our friends to be part of that association. And so I think he was so on target, which is what, you know, in, in some of these darkest days of this pandemic, in terms of the racial injustice we face right now and uh, really addressing racism and rooting it out, is that through these associations, these relationships, we will overcome that. And I, I have great faith in that, that spirit of America. My favorite part of the quote was the part about they are no longer isolated. And that's the part that really stood out to me because it's, and, it, and in so many ways, it's, I mean, the, first, the glaring part of that is the people that are being helped directly, the, the neighborhoods that need the most help, that probably still would be fighting on their own if it didn't take the philanthropy side of, you know, of, of people like you to, to go in. And the truth is, is that in the, in the climate we're in, you know, um, there's a, politics is, is a harder, it's a harder thing. It's a whole different thing. And I, I don't know, I don't know that politics by itself, and this is not my area of expertise. I, from what I've seen from within is I think that this means more than what sometimes the politics can bring the, the, the volunteers and what you do on big shoulders. And so um, this idea of, you know, people being completely alone and isolated and feeling alone and like you said before, um, you know, what that leads to, you know, the, the acts of deprivation and why that, why that brings out some of the acts that have labeled some neighborhoods as bad 
quote unquote, when, yeah. it, sh- when it shouldn't be. So I, I love that quote. And then from the other side, you know, it, I have maintained so many relationships from the CAC board and to prove it because of COVID, I haven't seen some of these people in, well, you know, close to a year because I was opening my, my gym and then this happened. So, but we talk all the time, you know, so my, my circle has become a better moral circle. You know, and I, and I, and if I'm like that, I guarantee you every other person that's being involved yes. with God has become like that and become, it just means that more people are gaining better circles. And I also think that it means a lot of people who now get to experience what we experience, become better moral people themselves. So it's, it's this domino effect that is number one about the people being helped directly, but it's, but there's a ripple effect past that, that is, that is so crucial. Um, I love exactly that. Exactly right. I, love I think that, that the that that isolation is is right and you know certainly you have a a great focus personally but also professionally in health and wellness of individuals in our society right i mean there's and you know a big part of that is living healthy eating healthy uh working out being active all those things and i you know someone uh, i was talking to recently was talking about just their 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 wellness and they said you know my part of my wellness is certainly eating healthy you know trying to work out as best I can as a busy employee and uh, parent and blah, blah, blah. But they said the other big part that she said she learned was the other big part of it was for her was being part of something that was bigger than her that's making a difference. And for her socially, emotionally, that when she was highly involved with an activity like that, she felt better and more hopeful about the future when she wasn't. And keep that balance of, I got to eat healthy. I got to spend time with my family. I got to work and all those things. But she said that was one of the major parts of her kind of balance. And she, and I makes total sense. I would say the same for me when I'm alone and isolated, not part of something like this, I don't feel as fulfilled. And I think that we all need that. And if COVID hasn't taught us uh, anything, it certainly has taught us that that isolation is, is hard and yeah. we're finding new ways to connect like this, but there's great fulfillment in that. Uh, Josh, that's, ex- that's exactly it. And that's why this isn't named the exercise podcast or the nutrition podcast. Because it goes bigger than that. And it's funny because people ask me, they're like, oh, so you're, so you're starting a fitness podcast. I'm like, well, kind of. Like, we'll, talk, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that here and there. And, it's like, and we'll talk about nutrition. Of course, those are, those are crucial things that, that are, are part of the total picture that is health and wellness. But there's also volunteering and there's relationship building and there's mood elevators and there's sleep. And there's, so there's everything from habitual and past that go into lifestyle, which is why I named it what I did. There you go. And which is why I wanted to have this exact conversation because I think this is a, it's, I, I know it's been a crucial piece for me. And for me, it filled a void that I didn't really know I had. But I, you know, if, if you want to talk about selfishness before Big Shoulders, I was probably leading a pretty selfish life where everything was about well, my career and what am I doing and how am I going to build and where am I going to be tomorrow and how much money can I have, you know, because I didn't have any. I didn't, you know, I didn't, by no means did I grow up, you know, in an underprivileged neighborhood, but, but I grew up in a blue collar neighborhood that was paycheck to paycheck. So I would say that I was significantly more selfish before filling the void that big shoulders filled, filled for me. Yeah. I, you know, no different. I, you know, when I'm focused more myself that way, I feel more empty when I'm focused more on, you know, the greater good. I feel a lot better. And, and I, you know, I, I was just saying, as you're saying that, you know, we, my kids and my wife, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, those haven't been to a give back day for a while. We haven't been part of a service day, something like that. There's an emptiness. And when we go to those, it's a great fulfillment and being part of something that we're, 
and a rejuvenation reminds you how important building those relationships and breaking down boundaries and meeting new people in service is a great way to certainly selfishly fill my own soul, but hopefully making a difference in the world that we're all healthier and better for. Yeah, and it'll and it'll take a lot of people just like like you to to make the, the global difference. But um, but what we've done has been a has been a huge huge impact. So Josh, when it comes to to getting involved, let's let's go there. You know where? How do people get involved in Big Shoulders? What's the best way um, for people that are or are not local to the Chicago area? How would you direct them? So you know, certainly going to our website, uh, which is www.bigshouldersfund org is the easy was the easiest way and and on there there's people to contact but uh, frankly Amy Drazda mm-hmm. who is our head of, of development and volunteerism of and all those efforts yeah. of everything truly <laughs> runs it yeah. we all work for Amy Drazda <laughs> you know she always says what we effectively try to do is create your own adventure and you know how would you like to be involved does that look like service days does it look like I want to uh, mentor students or provide tutoring? Does it, I want to teach a stock market program. I'd like to, I'd like to create a scholarship program where I'm underwriting them and, and supporting those students and other areas. There's lots of, mm-hmm. there's hundreds and it's anything from I'm going to do this once a year to I'm going to do this every month to I want to do something. You know, there's so many different ways. We have an entre- entrepreneurship program. So it truly is choose your adventure of how you can be part of building relationships with new communities, new people, and uh, supporting efforts to help ensure every child has access to the dream we want for every child. And there's lots of ways to get involved. And to your point, this is not just about writing checks. It's about being involved and really helping with our our talents, our time, and treasure. And so uh, go to our website and really seeking out Amy Dreiser or me or anybody on our team is more than happy to help. To, to engage and to be part of that in lots of ways. I love the, the talent part is a cool thing to, to talk about because that's, there's a creative nature to being a volunteer at Big Shoulders. Yes. The stock market program is the most prevalent one that I think we have, but you know, it was me being able to bring like a health thing to Big Shoulders that, um, that I'm hoping you know, yep. then there's a couple, couple of other ideas that, you know, that we've talked about that after, hopefully, if assuming a COVID it ever slows down ever we're going to start doing more of but being able to bring more of a fitness and health thing in so if people are part of you know have a unique career background you know you can kind of come in and say i have an idea it's it's so structured but at the same time it's so flexible to like you said making this to using your skill set not just following a protocol yep we and that is we try to maintain a very entrepreneurial spirit of we have this platform, Big Shoals Fund, which supports these schools and these students and these teachers. And on that platform, there's lots of opportunity for people to bring their talents. The stock market program was brought by two people who said, we have underrepresentation of minorities in the finance field. Well, it's called the stock market program. It's really about financial literacy and about careers. And you know, we support those students over time. That was created by people whose talent was in that area. I could no sooner do that today than I could back then. Our STEM scholarship program, same thing. People with great talents in that area, partnering with a, a tremendous university, coming together with their time and talent, with resources, bringing that together, we have a strong program. Entrepreneurial program, Lee Henderson at Ernst & Young, he led up that team in a great reach into the entrepreneurial community of people who built companies and a company who wanted to invest in that and implore and support that 
that entrepreneurial spirit in our students and how to build businesses. We now have a program where kids are building businesses and presenting them like Shark Tank to a group, a panel of entrepreneurs. Health, getting to you. And that platform Big Shoulders represents is how do we listen to people with great talents and that want to bring their their idea to form an association within our entity to serve others. And it goes back to, to Tocqueville's comment of where we're among a group of individuals in isolation, we bring people together to solve an issue. And that's a great example. And so I can't wait till after COVID, when we get to what the new normal is, that we um, we can bring more on that front in terms of getting healthier. <laughs> yeah, well, we all we all do. John, you know, in 10 years, we're going to sit down and talk about the new programs that have been created through this entrepreneurial spirit yes. between, between now and then. And uh, I'm excited to see it grow and I'm excited to be a part of it. So, uh, you know, Josh, I wanna, I'm looking at the time and I want to respect yours. I want to thank you for being on. I want to thank you for growing something that was able to eventually reach me so that I got to be a part of it because it's, it's truly been life-changing for me. There we go. So, uh, so thank you for that and, and thank you for today. Well, thank you very much for, um, one, being part of Big Shows Fun and sharing your time, town, treasure and for inviting some of your friends and spreading this association to others. And thanks for inviting me to the podcast. I'm thrilled you're doing this. I think we're all in search of, of listening to stories and um, people's experiences to uh, kind of keep us focused on what really matters these days. So thanks, thanks so much, Mike, for all you do. Uh, the, the honor was mine, and uh, we'll, we'll have to do it again sometime. Sounds good. Thanks a million. All right, everyone, thanks for listening, and have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.lifestyleasmedicinepodcast.com and visit www.marhealthandperformance.com and at Mar Health and Performance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day and see you next time.